Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Did God really say? Last week, we talked about the incredible promise that we get in Romans 8, and really throughout the entire Bible, that God is with us. And then we talked about the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. In the Old Testament, God said that he is with his people, that he's with us, but God very specifically dwelt within a temple. And so the Holy Spirit is still, still everywhere. The Holy Spirit was everywhere, but the Holy Spirit didn't live inside of people. Then fast forward through the New Testament, Jesus gives his life, dies on a cross, is resurrected, and then ascends to heaven. And his promise before he ascends is that I am leaving you so that my Father can send you the Helper, who is the Holy Spirit. And then fast forward to Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, that Holy Spirit falls on all who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And that Holy Spirit still falls on all who believe in Jesus Christ and fills us so that now God lives inside of us. But that's a double-edged sword, right? We talked about this. We love that promise when it comes to walking through trials when it comes to walking through heartbreak and going through storms. We love the idea that God is with us. We do not love that idea so much when we would like for God to turn the other way while we do some things that we're not supposed to do, right? But if God is with us, then God is with us. And so it's like Santa Claus, right? Except real. Sorry, you still believe in Santa. But... Right? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. It is Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit, right? And it's not just a tale that we tell our kids so that they behave. Right? Santa's watching. He's not going to bring you any good gifts. It's it's far worse than that, y'all. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you. Knock it off. Stop doing stuff that is going to cause him grief. Stop doing things, we we talked about this, right? If I'm not going to put it up on the screen here at the Gospel House for you all to watch, I shouldn't be watching it on the screen in my house. I shouldn't be watching it on my computer, on my phone. I shouldn't be listening to it, right? So, if the Spirit lives in us, that's an incredible promise. We have access to God 24-7, all the time. But if the Spirit lives in us, He also has access to us. 24-7, all the time. So we need to watch what we're doing and do things that please him, not that bring him grief. Right? Heavy hitter. Now today, we continue on and talk about how we are God's children. Thank you to Tim and the worship team for singing that song, No Longer Slaves. I am no longer a slave to fear. 
but I am a child of God. What a promise, right? What a promise from Scripture. I feel like I, I could stop this sermon right here, and we could just sit here and meditate on this, right? This is an incredible promise, and I don't think we think on it nearly enough. I don't think we just absorb this and let it just linger. Lots of times as Christians, you know, we can, we can get into this mode, you know, happens a lot with Bible in a year plans, but, you know, with the, the Bible in a year plan, you've got three chapters you've got to read a day, four chapters you've got to read a day, whatever it is, and, and we get into this mode where you just got to fly through them, right, and get through and get through and get through, and lots of times as Christians, we do that as well. Right? We, we, we do this checklist and we go through these things as Christians and these sermon series and we just move on, move on, move on, move on. But we got to take time. And some people are really good at this. Taking time and just soaking in truth. Just sitting and just thinking. So we're not going to do it today, but I would highly encourage you when you go home today, when you go home this week, you know, every day, Find a moment of quiet where there are no distractions. Take your th phone, throw it across the room, like whatever it takes. But find a moment with no distractions. If you've got little kids, get up an hour before the little kids get up. right? But find a moment and just spend some time meditating on this. You know, Eastern meditation says that you're supposed to clear your mind so that there's nothing in it, Right? It's about emptying yourself. Christian meditation is similar, but it's about emptying myself and focusing on Jesus, focusing on God. So in this instance, if you were to meditate, meditate on this. God has called me his child. This should be a core truth in our lives that absolutely rocks our world. If it does not rock your world and cause you to just break down and weep, can I challenge you that you aren't thinking hard enough on it? You aren't looking at the implications of what this means. You aren't looking at who you used to be. And that despite all of that, despite every mistake you've ever made, despite every mistake you will make, God has still chosen to call you his child. It's incredible incredible truth. So spend time meditating on that this week. Find some quiet and just meditate on the fact that you are a child of God. For today, we're going to dig into this a little bit more and hopefully maybe give you a few little nuggets to meditate on. But we're going to talk about these three things. First, we're going to talk about how as Christians, we are adopted into God's family and about, a little bit about what that adoption process looks like as Christians. Then we're going to look at the absolutely mind-blowing fact that God has called us heirs. You know, heirs are people who take over someone's inheritance, right? Guys, God has called us his heirs, which means we inherit everything that God has and is. Come on, somebody, right? <laughs> That's incredible. And then finally... We're going to look at how being adopted into God's family is a glorious future, but that it is also a very present promise that we don't have to wait for eternity to claim. So, first up, 
adopted. We are adopted by God. This is the incredible truth of Christianity. And Paul lays out this promise so well for us here in Romans 8. He says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. This is well documented throughout the New Testament. Jesus talks about being born again in John 3 when he's talking to the Pharisee Nicodemus. That it's not good enough just to be born of a woman, right? To be born in the flesh. But to enter into his kingdom, we must be born again. Born into the spirit. Born into a new family. In Romans 11, Paul talks to us Gentiles about being grafted in to the tree, right? The tree that's God's God's family that is Judaism, But the Gentiles, because of what Jesus did, are now able to be grafted into that tree. And then there's this incredible passage in Hebrews 2 that says this, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, Jesus is he who sanctifies, right? Those who are sanctified is us, are all from one Father. For this reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. Now, this is a little heady. Hebrews can get a little heady, right? If you've read the book of Hebrews. Can get a little complicated, but I promise it's worth it. Just stick with me here. Jesus sanctifies us and we are all from one father and because of what Jesus did Jesus is not ashamed to call us brother and sister that's incredible y'all right not on my account not because of what I've done but because Jesus Christ has sanctified me and I have accepted that free gift Jesus is not ashamed to call me brother. That is incredible, y'all. That is an incredible promise. He continues, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Now this is the cool part. Paul says the same thing to us in Romans 8 in verse 15 when he says, you have received not a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. This should be obvious, but this is one of those implications we don't chase, y'all. When adoption happens, there are two sides of adoption, aren't there? We focus a lot on the being adopted into the new family, don't we? So much so that sometimes we ignore the second half of it, and it's actually the first part. What do you have to do before you're adopted into a new family? You got to get rid of the old one, 
right? You've got to leave the old one behind. Now, we've got to be a, a, a touch careful here. There are spiritual adoption. Actually, even when you go into like adoption today versus adopt, adoption back in Old Testament times and in, in the early church times, it, it was a slightly different process. There are similarities to what it is today, but it was a slightly different process. And especially when you're talking about spiritual adoption. Guys, spiritual adoption is far more drastic than adoption today, like in our society, okay? And I know that sounds kind of weird to say. How could it be more drastic? Because in spiritual adoption, when like look at Hebrews 12 here, or sorry, Hebrews 2. Look at what it's saying here. Look at what Paul's saying in Romans. In order to be adopted, the old family has to die. The old family has to go away in order for you to be adopted into this new family. Now today, you know, there's, there can be reuniting of, of you know, adopted siblings with the, their old family. With, you can go find, you know, who your parents were. That's, that's where the correlation doesn't quite meet up. Because here, you can't go back to your old family. Right? We talked about last week, we talked about how God, he doesn't co-own his temple. Right? You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. But God does not say, here's the paperwork, you sign on this line, I'll sign on this line, and we're going to co-own this thing. It'll be like a cute little quaint bed and breakfast, you know, people will stop by in the summers, leaves will be beautiful that time of year. He doesn't do that. It's God's or it's not. If it is even a little bit yours, it's not God's. That's how he does it. But in the same vein with adoption, God doesn't co-parent. This isn't joint custody, y'all. Right? Then stop treating it like it is. We're hitting on this pretty hard, y'all. Eventually, somebody's going to wake up and be like, oh yeah, I should stop that. <laughs> right? Stop treating it like it is. You don't, go get, you don't get to go see your old dad, the devil, on the weekends. You don't get a clock out from your new family and go see your old family, you know, every night at 8 p.m. That's not how this works because God doesn't co-parent with Satan. It makes sense, doesn't it? God doesn't do anything with Satan, y'all. But we've got to treat it like that. We were actually studying this Monday morning's shameless plug. Monday morning's men's Bible study. Be here or you're missing out. <laughs> we start our Bible study at 5.30 a.m. for the real men, you know, who get up early and do stuff. But we were talking about revelations. We're going through the, we're, we're going through the book of Revelation right now, and we were going through the first part of Revelation where it goes through the spirits of the churches. And one of the things that, that Jesus says to the churches is, you know, the, one of the problems he has with the first church is, I, I don't like that you agree with the teachings of the Nicoletians. And so we were sitting there and we were like, what's that mean? Like, who are the Nicoletians? What's that mean? So we Googled it, right? Whenever you don't know anything, you just pull out your phone and Google it. But y'all, it's so cool because it's exactly what we've been talking about. The Nicoletians were a group of Christians. Were a group of Christians. The founder of whom was one of the early apostles who walked with, with the disciples, who learned from the disciples. 
But the Nicolaitans decided, you know what? It's actually okay if you keep one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. You can please both God and man. You can tiptoe both lines and straddle that fence. And what did God say? What did Jesus say when he came back to the churches? I hate that teaching, y'all. Yet, what are we doing today? What is the church in the United States doing today? Playing games, y'all. We're playing games. What do we as individuals do? We play games, right? When I was youth pastor, this is always, don't pretend like this wasn't your question, because it was every youth student. What do they want to know? What does every youth student want to know? How far is too far, pastor? (laughs) Right? Don't pretend you didn't want to know. You wanted to know. But that's what we always want to know. How far can I push it? God, what's the bare minimum? I mean, I just, like, God, I want to get in, but I want to, like, barely get in. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I can do all the fun stuff and still get into heaven, like, yeah, that's what I want. That's not how God does it. Stop playing games, y'all. Stop pretending that we can be friends with God and the world. All throughout the Bible, God says, it can't happen. Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. God's words, y'all, not mine. We have got to get off the fence. If Jesus hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans, then we have to too. And we sure as heck can't be them, right? We got to show people that there's a better way. And that better way is being adopted into God's family and leaving the old ways of doing things. Leaving entirely. Because y'all, let's be real. We used to be part of that family, right? We used to be part of that family that led to sin and to shame. But God has called us out of it through what Jesus Christ has done. And all we've got to do is recognize that Jesus did it for us. Let the Holy Spirit step inside to get rid of what needs to be gotten rid of and to show us how to walk. And guys, if this book is real, if what God says in this book is real and not just a set of moral stories meant to inspire us, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. This is the literal word of God. And if it's real, then what this book says is that God is living inside of me, that Jesus Christ has purchased me with a price, has taken up residence, and he is going to show me how to do everything. If I would just listen, if I would just knock off this garbage do-it-yourself Christianity and think, well, if I just apply these five practical steps, I can be a great Christian too. It's not about you. The gospel is not about you. It's about giving him complete control and letting him move through you. Ultimately, it's about becoming an heir to God's kingdom. 
and heir to God himself. This is the promise, y'all. I am an heir with Christ. I share an inheritance with Jesus Christ. You want to talk about fair versus unfair, right? Jesus Christ dies on a cross, is brutally, brutally punished by the Romans. Sometimes I don't think we realize, how many of you have seen the passion of the Christ, right? Sometimes I don't think we realize, like, the crucifixion, I'm not going to say the crucifixion was fun, like, painful, but, like, there was stuff leading up to the crucifixion. Y'all, what a day, right? Jesus went through it. And then, what, here's what I think is the craziest part that, that we don't get. You know, we're told in Isaiah that the prophecies about Jesus going to the cross say that like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and did not lift up his voice, which means that there isn't a single time in all of that, all of that, the beatings, the whippings, the scourging, the nailing onto the cross, all of it. There wasn't a single moment where Jesus rose his voice, but we're told of one where Jesus cries out, one. And it's the moment that God turns his face away from Jesus and the entirety of the wrath of God meant for you and me falls squarely on Jesus' shoulders. At that moment, Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which means, y'all, the nails, the cat o nine tails that they tore off his flesh with, all of that stuff, child's play, a paper cut, compared to the wrath of God. You want to know why it's so important that we get out of these four walls and tell people about Jesus. Because the real pain is coming. God's wrath, y'all, if you aren't under the Jesus umbrella, God's wrath is coming. And I don't want to be around when that wrath falls. And I don't want anybody that I even kind of like to be around. I don't want anybody I hate to be around when that wrath falls. We have got to get out there and tell people about Jesus. If they don't accept him, that's on their head. But we've got to tell people about Jesus, y'all. Because this promise is too great to keep to ourselves. The fact that we are heirs and there is nothing that we even did to become heirs. Jesus Christ gave it all. Paul says this in Romans 8. If children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I am so curious how in the world you can read this passage and not be excited. How? (laughs) Come on, somebody, right? Do you have a pulse? Are you still sleeping? Right? This is incredible. Fellow heirs with Christ, everything, everything that Jesus did so that he could share his inheritance with me. Name anyone else who has ever done that for you. Right? I mean, I don't even think I love my wife like that half the time. 90% of the time. 99.5% of the time. It just keeps going up. I'm going to stop. Right? 
we actually, we were, last night we were watching uh, the, the Mission Impossible movies. There's the newest Mission Impossible movie came out, and Elam and Jubilee really like the Mission Impossible movies. So we were watching it with them, but there's this part where Ethan Hunt, who's the main character, he's talking to this girl, and she's about to go on this, like, suicide mission. You know, you know it's Mission Impossible movies. They're, like, flying motorcycles off of jets and stuff. But she's about to go into this suicide mission. She's like, do you promise that you're, I'm not going to die and you're going to come save me? And he's like, I can't promise you that. But I can promise that I will put your life ahead of mine from this moment on. And it was so awesome because my wife immediately said to the kids, that is what Jesus does. And he's the only one who can do that for us. What? It's like, Janet, you're preaching tomorrow. (laughs) But for real, y'all, right? We act, oh, we act like we're Ethan Hunt, don't we? We act like we've got it all together, and we act like, Jenna, I would lay down my life for you, right? This is the gospel house. I am your shepherd, and I will lay down my life. Come on, man. When push comes to shove, I'm going to throw you all down, and the lions are going to come and eat you, and I'm going to be out the door. Right? Because that's human nature. That's the flesh that we fight so hard against. But Jesus Christ is the only one who said, guys, I am going to lay down my life. And for what? So that you, the people who spit on me, the people who rejected me, the people who turned their backs on me, so that you can share my inheritance. So I can call you brothers and sisters. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This is how incredible this theology of adoption is. But look at that passage. There's an if, isn't there? We love in today's culture. We love this idea of a God who loves with no strings attached. Don't we? God's love is unconditional. And it is, once you're in it. But you've got to come first. Right? We talked about this. It's like a party that everybody is invited to. But you've got to come. When you get the invitation, you can't get upset at God Say, well, that's not fair, God. I didn't get a party favor. You didn't come to the party. He's not going to mail out party favors to you because you didn't come. You have got to come. And this promise of becoming an heir with Christ has an if. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You know, I think a lot of times we can be God's worst enemy when we proclaim his gospel. Because we take it upon ourselves to make him popular. Right? We take it upon ourselves to adjust the gospel just a little bit so that more people will come. But God didn't ask us to do that, did he? It's his truth. And the reality is, in changing the gospel, we've made it untrue. 
And anybody who has lived any amount of life knows that it's not true. Because we preach this gospel that as soon as you come to Jesus, everything's going to get better. As soon as you come to Jesus, you're going to feel nothing but peace all of your days. And everything's going to be quiet and calm and the still small voice will speak. That's not real. It's not real. And you walk with Jesus through any amount of life and you find out very quickly that it's not real. Now, some Christians are really good at just ignoring it. Well, by faith, I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to ignore that things really suck right now. By faith, by faith, right? And then there's other Christians who lean into it. And, you know, find, yeah, life is rough. But God doesn't promise it's going to be easy. God says, if I suffer with him, because guess what God knows? Christianity is not going to be popular in the world. If Jesus says friendship with the world is hostility toward God, then walking with God in this world is not going to make you popular. It's going to put a big old target on your back, which means there will be suffering. But it also means that there will be glory doesn't it? The question is, what does that glory look like? We get a picture of it from Jesus. John 17. Now, we context. Context, context. We can't just look at this and not ask, where was Jesus when he was talking this? This is called the high priestly prayer. It's one of the greatest prayers in scripture. John 17. You go through and read it. This is while Jesus is walking to the garden of Gethsemane. What happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He was betrayed. The Garden of Gethsemane kicks off the cross, right? It's where the soldiers came and first beat him, dragged him off to jail where they would beat him more, where Jesus had to watch every single one of his closest followers. This was like family, y'all. And he had to watch every single one of them run away and completely abandon and betray him. This is where Jesus is walking while he prays. Sorry, click. Jesus spoke these things and raising his eyes to heaven, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you just as you gave him authority over all mankind so that all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. We talk a lot about glory. Everybody wants glory, right? But how did Jesus get glory? When he asks the Father, God, it's time. Glorify me. What's he want? God, plop down a throne right here and let me rule over all these minions and I'll make them do my bidding and rule with an iron fist. Nope, not that glory. God, give me power and popularity and prestige and all of the P words and all, yeah. Not that either. God, I'm ready for the cross that you have called me to bear. Because I know that through this cross, everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Which means, if we want to be co-heirs with Christ, what do we have to embrace 
first. The cross, right? There is no glory without going through the cross. Now here's the good news for you and me. We will never be asked to carry the cross that Jesus carried. And all of us should be saying, praise God. I would fold quicker than a chair, y'all. Right? I can't carry that cross. But the great promise as Christians is that we will never be asked to carry that cross. That does not mean that you will not be asked to carry a cross. Can I also, I'm going to plug this in here, and this is a shot at me more than anyone else. I'm taking a shot at myself hoping that there's somebody out there who's like me. You all have your lives together. Nobody's like me. But here's the other thing. Your cross that Jesus is calling you to carry is not someone else's cross. Okay? Listen to this. Listen, somebody, listen. That means that when you step back and you scroll through your Instagram or your Facebook or your Twitter, Twitter's not as bad, and compare your life to everyone else, God has not called them to carry the cross he has called you to carry. As long as you are focused on the cross that everyone else is carrying, you will never be able to pick up and carry your own. Carry the cross God has called you to carry. Look, we can play unfair all day long, but the second we step into the gospel with unfair, it dissolves pretty darn quickly, doesn't it? We just talked about this. <laughs> Co-heirs with Christ. That cross that he carried so that I could become an heir. That's not fair. Literally, Jesus gave up everything so that I could have it all and asked for nothing back. That's unfair. Me having to walk through a, a trial while looking over here and being like, what the heck, this Christian doesn't have to walk through these trials. And look, God's given him all sorts of material things. He's not building the faith story in that person that he's building in me. Okay? We're done. I'm done. Off of that. But guys, this is the prayer. This is a bold prayer, but this is a prayer that every Christian must learn to pray. God, send me the cross. But here's the promise of even the cross, y'all. God doesn't send us to the cross as orphans. God doesn't send us to the cross as slaves to sin. Does he? He sends us to the cross as sons and daughters. Now look, I don't know what your relationship with your earthly father is like. There are some really bad relationships. But I do know my heavenly father. And I know that when he sends his children, no matter what he has sent his children to do, his future far outweighs any present pain you could possibly walk through. When he sends his children into awful situations, and there are awful situations out there, aren't there? Guys, get rid of this, this lie of Western Christianity that God isn't going to ask you to do hard things. He does all the time. He sends you into horrible situations. 
You know, one of, one of my favorite examples of this is there's a story of Abraham, right? And before Abraham gets, gets his wife Sarah pregnant, she gives him her maidservant, hoping that they can produce an heir through that. And they do, right? Ishmael. But after that, Sarah gets really jealous, and she starts abusing her maidservant. So much so that her maidservant says, I'm done. Grabs Ishmael, takes off. God meets her in the desert and says, you go, girl. You get away from those toxic people in your life. Nope. He says, I want you to take your stuff, and I want you to go back, and I want you to submit to your abuser. That won't preach very well on a Sunday, will it? God's command, because God calls us to carry crosses and to do hard things. Are we willing to? Because God also does not send us alone. He sends us as sons and daughters. And that is the glorious future. Look at this promise, y'all. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We've done this every week so far. Probably keep doing it. Don't see why not. But this is where we'll start next week. We'll pick up on this. And this will be the promise that we look at. Guys, this is an incredible promise. Said this before, but for those who are in Christ Jesus, this world is as bad as this gets. Right? What you're going through right now, this is the worst. Everything after this when we get to eternity. But if you aren't in Christ Jesus, this is as good as it gets. Again, we see that importance. We have got to tell people about Jesus. We have got to share the good news of this gospel because this is an incredible promise. I had heard uh, Pastor Tim Keller describe this once as, as if, you know, he, he gave a very vivid illustration but said that he had had a dream where his family was killed. And, you know, he, it's one of those dreams where, like, you wake up and your heart's racing and everything. But then he looked over and saw his wife next to him. Oh, whew, it's just a dream, right? We've all had those dreams. He says he thinks that's what this is going to be like. We wake up from this life in eternity and think, oh, that was just a dream. This is my reality. But guys... This glorious future is a present promise. Live that way now. Where is your real life? Is it here with all of the crap that happens here on this earth? Or is it wrapped up with Jesus in eternity? Where is your treasure? What are you living for? This world or the next. Because the promise is we are children of God. I want to jump back real quick to Romans 
says, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. In Galatians 4, Paul says something very similar. Verses 4 through 7, he says, when the fullness of time came, God sent his son born of a woman born under the law so that he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, a lot has been made of this word, Abba, that Aramaic word. And, you know, if you, if you go over in, you know, eastern countries over there, you'll hear, you'll hear that word still used, and it means daddy. Now, show of hands, does anybody have that friend in your life who prays, daddy, God? Anyone? Thank goodness we're good. Tell them to stop. Guys, it's not the flex that you think it is. We need to, because, here's the deal. There's a theology out there. There is a teaching. Mostly it comes from worship leaders because worship leaders are the real emotional ones, you know, who get all gushy and everything. But this whole daddy-God movement, right? Abba means daddy in in the Aramaic dialect. So Jesus is calling. There are three times, y'all, where this is used. Three times where this prayer, Abba, Father, is used. Every time, it's this, Abba, Father, so it says, Abba, in the, in the Greek, if you read it, Abba, O, Pater. Abba, Father. There's this irreverence that can come along with praying, Daddy, God. Right? That doesn't exist when Jesus cries out. Jesus says it once, Mark 14, 36. And then Paul uses it twice, Romans 8 and Galatians 4. You saw both of them. But we've got to be so careful. Because every time... Father is attached, that ho pater in the Greek, which means that, yes, they are calling out to God, Dad, Father, but it's out of reverence. It's not this running after, and honestly, y'all, it's probably even deeper because of that, because it's not this, like, cruising up like, hey, Pops, what's going on, God? Me and God are on such good terms that I call him Pops. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Look at me. That's not what it is. It's coming to God as a child. And the only way you can come to God as a child is through the Holy Spirit. Is if the Holy Spirit allows you to, right? But it's coming to him in the most reverent sense, acknowledging that he is the Lord of all creation, acknowledging that he is more powerful, that he is more intelligent, more, so far beyond anything we could ever grasp, and yet he has still called us children, that we can still come to him with the privilege of a child. You know, another Tim Keller quote. This is actually one of the earliest Keller quotes that I can remember. But it's from that teaching in Galatians 4. But Keller asks the question, he says, who is the only person who dares wake up a king 
at 3 a.m. and ask for a glass of water. Not a slave, right? Not a servant. Only a child. We have that kind of access to God. He has given us that kind of access, y'all. Not access as slaves, even though that's probably what we deserve, right? But access as children, that we can approach him and cry out, Abba, Father, and ask for anything. The question is, do you? Come on, do you? I, I don't. I approach God lots of times like it's an inconvenience to him, right? How many of you guys have heard that one before, I'm sure, right? Maybe you are that person. Oh, I don't want to bother God with my problems. He's solving these world problems over here, and he's got world hunger and peace to take care of. I'm not going to bother him with this little thing that I have going on. Why not? You're not listening to the Holy Spirit if you're not. Because the Holy Spirit is saying, approach him and cry out, Abba, Father. Wake him up at 4 a.m. and ask for the glass of water. Can I tell you something as a dad who loves my children more than anything else? Jubilee got, she got hit with the flu bug earlier this week. She woke up every hour on the hour throwing up. You know how much I hate not sleeping? So much. Do you know what? I wouldn't give to be right next to her when she threw up every single one of those times, though, as a father? Nothing. Nothing. You could say, Jeremy, why don't you go stay in a hotel room for the night so that you can get 12 hours of sleep and Juby can deal with it on her own? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because I love my daughter. Why do we act like God is any different? I, I, I'll tell you why. Why? Who? Who? Whose voice is that? Right? Did God really say that you can cry out to him, Abba, Father? Y'all, we got to pray. Right? We got to ask God whatever it is that is on your heart because that's God's deepest desire. That's my deepest desire as a father to my earthly kids, right? I want Elam and Jubilee and Promise and Gideon, I want them to tell me everything that's going on in their life, right? If there's a kid that's got drugs and they accidentally tried some, come to your father, right? If there's a girl and, you know, Elam really likes her, if there's, whatever it is, I want to know. Not because I want to punish you when you do wrong, but because I'm your dad and I love you and I want to know what's going on in your life. How much more does our Heavenly Father feel that way about us? His heart's desire is that his children would run to him. To quote the Apostle John from the book of 1 John, can't you see it? How great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. 
You are a child of the Most High God. This is not a promise that you have to name and claim. Right? This isn't a promise that, that we grab a hold on and we hold on to. This is a promise that the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of you, has already claimed for you. And he is currently testifying with your spirit right now that this is who you are. But the question is, do you live like it? Sometimes I have a harder time when God tells me something I want to hear, believing that it's true. You know, if God were like, hey, Jeremy, I want you to go to Cambodia and preach the gospel, I'd be like, yep, that's definitely God because I don't want to do that. But when God says, hey, Jeremy, I want you to come to me and I want you to pray bold prayers and I want you to be honest about the things that you want and I'm going to answer those prayers, Jeremy, because I'm your father and I love you. That's harder for me to believe sometimes than the other one. But it's just as true, y'all. It is just as true. And can I put this out there? If you aren't approaching God like that, that's not humility from you. It's dishonoring the God who asks you to come that way. Can we stop dishonoring God and can we start coming to him as children? Can we start laying everything before his throne? Can we start crying out, Abba, Father, and trusting that our God, our Father in heaven, has our best interest in mind and that he will move heaven and earth. He has already moved hell to make sure that we have access to it. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.